Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, Cardio Nerds family, this is Amit. On behalf of all of us at Cardio Nerds, we are thrilled to bring to you our Decipher the Guideline series for the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA Guideline for the Management of Heart Failure. Get ready for short and bite sized, high impact clinical vignette based questions designed to highlight core concepts based on cutting edge evidence that are relevant to your practice. The cases we use are hypothetical and created for educational purposes only. This series was developed by the Cardio Nerds and created in collaboration with the American Heart Association and the Heart Failure Society of America. It was created by 30 trainees spanning college student through advanced fellows with mentorship from Dr. Anu Lala, Dr. Robert Menz, and Dr. Nancy Schweitzer. We thank Dr. Judy Bazanson and Dr. Elliot Antman for their guidance along the way. So friends, join us as we get to learn about the heart failure guidelines and beyond from 16 leading faculty experts. And now, let's get nerdy. The following question refers to section 7.3 of the 2022 AHA ACC HFSA guideline for the management of heart failure. The question is asked by Palisades Medical Center medicine resident and cardiac intern Dr. Marion Brachadarian, answered first by Hopkins Bayview medicine resident and cardiac academy fellow Dr. Ty Sweeney, and then by expert faculty Dr. Greg Funnero. Dr. Funnero is a professor of medicine and interim chief of the UCLA's Division of Cardiology, director of the Amundsen UCLA Cardiomyopathy Center, and co-director of UCLA's Preventive Cardiology Program. Dr. Funnero, welcome to CardioNerds. Delighted to join you. Ty, I have a question for you. Mr. Gene, a 53-year-old African-American man with ischemic cardiomyopathy and heart failure with reduced ejection fraction, EF 30 to 35%, is recently admitted with acutely decompensated heart failure and acute kidney injury on chronic kidney disease stage 3. His outpatient regimen includes Sacubitril balsartan 97, 103 milligram BID, carbidolol 25 milligram BID, and hydrolazine 50 milligram TID. Sacubitril balsartan was held because of worsening renal function. Despite symptomatic improvement with diuresis, his renal function continues to decline. He is otherwise well perfused with preservation of other and organ function. Throughout this hospitalization, he has steadily become more hypertensive with blood pressure persisting in the 170s over 90s millimeter mercury. What should be an appropriate adjustment to his medication regimen of this time? A. Resume losartan only. B. Start amlodipine. C. Increase current hydrolysine dose. D. Start isosorbide denitrate therapy. E both C and D. So what do you think, Ty? Marianne, that's a great question and something that we encounter, especially on the inpatient service, all the time. In this situation, the correct answer, I think, is E, both increasing the current hydralazine dose, or option C, and starting isosorbide dinitrate therapy, which is option D. Although ACE inhibitors and ARBs, which correspond to choice A, have shown a mortality and morbidity benefit in HEFREF, caution should be used in patients with renal insufficiency. In this patient with ongoing decline in renal function, RAS inhibitor therapies, i.e. ACE inhibitors, ARBs, ARNIs, and MRAs, should all be avoided. In this case, as his RAS inhibition has been stopped, 
it would be reasonable to increase current therapies to target doses or the nearest dose that's tolerated. As these demonstrated both safety and efficacy in trials, and this is a class one level of evidence A recommendation. Considering that its high dose ARNI was stopped, it is unlikely that either hydralazine or isosorbide dinitrate alone, even at maximal doses, would be sufficient to control its blood pressures, options C and D respectively. Interestingly, in the original study by Massey et al. in 1977, the decision was made to combine these therapies as the result was thought to be superior to either medication alone. ISDN would provide preload reduction, while the hydralazine would decrease afterload, both of which would be important in heart failure. Consequently, we do not have data looking at the individual benefit of either medication in isolation. In self-identified Black or African Americans with NYHA Class 3 or 4 HEFREF that are already on optimal GDMT, the addition of hydralazine and isosorbide dinitrate is recommended to improve symptoms and reduce mortality and morbidity. And again, this is a Class 1 level of evidence A recommendation. In this case, as the patient has evidence of progressive renal dysfunction, we are limited in using traditional RAS inhibitors such as ACE inhibitors, ARBs, or ARNIs. In patients with current or previously symptomatic HEFREF who cannot be given first-line agents like these due to intolerance or renal insufficiency, combination therapy of hydralazine and isosorbide dinitrate might be considered to reduce morbidity and mortality. This is a class 2b level of evidence CLD recommendation. Let's talk briefly about dihydropyridine calcium channel blockers such as amlodipine, which would be choice B in this. These are not recommended for treatment of HEFREF with confidence of recommendation 3 level of evidence A though they may be considered for treating elevated blood pressure despite optimization of GDMT. So for me, my main takeaways in this are that in self-identified African-American patients, the addition of hydralazine and isosorbide dinitrate to GDMT has additional mortality and morbidity benefits. And should a patient have drug intolerances or renal dysfunction that precludes the use of ACE inhibitors or ARBs or ARNIs, hydralazine and isosorbide dinitrate is a reasonable alternative. Dr. Fonro. Uh, do you have anything to add to this? Specifically, I would love to hear your thoughts on the use of hydralazine and ISDN either in isolation or in patients of different demographics, um, such as patients that do not self-identify as Black or African-American. You summarized the data really nicely. Part of the rationale for use of hydralazine together with isosorbide dinitrate, it is thought when nitrates are used alone, there's rapid development of tolerance, and you can see this hemodynamically. And by combining with hydralazine, we actually see that that is attenuated, and you preserve both the meno and arterial dilation in this favorable hemodynamic effect. So there's a strong hemodynamic rationale for why these agents have been combined. And you certainly see a nice response. There's reduction in preload, afterload, cardiac index improves, often renal function stabilizes. What's been so interesting in the randomized trials, in fact, the very first trial I did as a cardiology fellow was the UCLA high c trial, where we randomized patients with advanced heart failure, class 3 and 4, to hydralazine nitrates versus the ACE inhibitor, Captopril. Saw a much better hemodynamic response and renal stabilization with hydralazine nitrates. But it was also surprising how different mortality was. 49% at one year with hydralazine nitrates versus only 19% with the ACE or Captopril. And similar data in more mild to moderate heart failure was replicated in the BHAF2 trial. Certainly the AHAF trial for patients self-identified African-American, we've seen these remarkable benefits on the background of neurohormonal antagonists. 
So for the patient who's self-identified African-American and not tolerating or not a good candidate, at least temporarily for RAS inhibition, very safe and consistent with the guidelines for the use of fixed dose combination or individual hydralazine nitrates utilized together. However, for those individuals that are not African-American, you know, there the data is quite mixed and, and observational data from Get With the Guidelines and from the VA that we've been involved with, even trying to identify a group that you would think would benefit that didn't tolerate ACE inhibitor ARB because of renal dysfunction. It was hard pressed to demonstrate meaningful benefits being observed with the use. So I do think why this therapy can be considered in this circumstance, we really want to rapidly transition back to those mortality-reducing therapies to try and get Secubitril-Balsart back on board, to try and so long as there's not hyperkalemia, get an MRA back on board, continue the beta blocker, and consider the SGLT2 inhibitor to be added in addition so long as they qualify renal function-wise. So short-term use, of hydralazine nitrates is very reasonable to try and hemodynamically stabilize the patient. But for the intermediate longer term, really should be trying to pivot back over to the neurohormonal antagonists and the SGLT2 inhibitors that have longer term renal protection as well as morbidity and mortality benefits. Thank you, Dr. Ponro, and thank you, Ty. <laughs>